For more than 20 years, Big Ass Fans has been the industry leader in comfort. Its state-of-the-art fans, evaporative coolers, and heaters have transformed the most inhospitable of spaces into the most inviting of environments. Learn more at BigAssFans.com. Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. Today I'm sitting down with Sam Polk, founder and CEO of Every Table, a nonprofit grab-and-go concept that markets healthy, affordable meals in neighborhoods that are often classified as food deserts. The chef-inspired food is prepared at a central commissary to keep pricing low and is delivered to every table store locations, refrigerated vending machines, and directly to consumers via subscriptions. The customer base includes more affluent diners, too, and Polk follows a variable pricing model, charging according to zip code. But the menu resonates across all locales, he says. Best sellers are the warm bowls, including a turkey taco bowl, Jamaican jerk chicken with coconut rice, and salmon adobo. Every Table was launched in 2015 in L.A. and now numbers 33 locations, including the newest that opened this spring in New York City. Polk forecasts 55 units by the end of 2022 and has plans to expand to Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and other urban areas. Listen as he describes Every Table's social mission, craveable menu, and future goals. Welcome, Sam. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So let's start by you telling me a little bit about the concept behind Every Table and how you got it started. Yeah, I mean, to understand Every Table, you really need to understand the problem that we're trying to solve, which is that healthy food has effectively become a luxury product, not available or affordable in many communities. Um, so every table was started after you know a long sort of path where I was understanding the problem of what they call food deserts, which are neighborhoods that don't have access to healthy, fresh food. And you know I was doing some work running a nonprofit uh, in neighborhoods like that, um, one in particular called South Los Angeles, where um, you know per capita income is thirteen thousand dollars a year, and there's very little fresh food available. And I was working with families and came to understand that, there was real demand for healthy food. And so I said, well, if there's demand for healthy food, can we figure out an operating model that can allow us to make healthy food for the same price or even lower prices than fast food? And that's basically how Every Table was born. And Every Table is a pretty simple concept on some level where in every major region, um, we'll have a single commissary kitchen that is taking ingredients directly from farms and, and turning those ingredients into fresh, healthy, delicious meals and then packaging them in grab-and-go containers because that's the only kitchen for the entire region. And then we have our own fleet of refrigerated vehicles that takes our food to all the different places that we sell to customers. And the, the most important of those is our stores, which are 
you know, small grab and go stores where people can come in and grab a meal if they're hungry, or they can grab 10 meals if they're shopping for the week. And then we also have what are called smart fridges, which are basically healthy vending machines and an e-commerce business where we deliver directly to customers. And the way that every table gets our, our prices so low is really that using the, the central kitchen to make those meals is much more efficient than making food at every single location. And then the last thing I'll say is that we also do what we call a variable pricing model. So every table basically can, we believe that we you know, offer value in all communities and we're, we're in all different kinds of communities, um, but a lot of our work is in food desert neighborhoods. And in those neighborhoods, we price our meals significantly lower for the same food. So if you're in, you know, a, a more sort of middle-class area like Hollywood or West Los Angeles, you know, price of the food will be seven or eight dollars, a great value versus the sort of healthy, fast casuals out there. But if you're in Compton or Watts or South Los Angeles, um, you know, neighborhoods that are traditionally underserved and have lower incomes will price the meals at five or six dollars. And it's really, it's really a way to create an inclusive system that you know allows everybody to everywhere to have access to healthy fresh food and how many locations do you have now um we've got about 33 right now and we'll end the year with about 50 to 55 and then hopefully in next year with north of 100. wow and so the commissaries how many of the commissaries do you need to like service all those locations Right now we have two commissaries, so one in Los Angeles and one in New York, and then Mm -hmm. we'll eventually build um, one in Chicago and likely one in North Florida. And But from our Los Angeles and New York locations, we can serve sort of a very dense, very large market. So we're really focused on sort of building density in those markets right now. And New York recently opened, isn't that correct? I mean, that pretty new one. That's right. That's right. Well, well, we've got we've got sort of seven on the way um, or seven that will be open by the end of this year. And three of them are operating now. So one is in the East Village on uh, Avenue B and 14th Street. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two are in Chelsea. One's on 28th and 8th and one's on um, 24th and 6th. I'm sorry, 18th and 8th and 24th and 6th. And then we've got one. The next one is coming in Harlem. So that'll be on 125th Street, which we're really excited about. We've got a store coming on Flatbush in Brooklyn, which we're really excited about right next to a McDonald's. And then the last store is uh, in the financial district on Worth Street. Oh, cool. Well, I'll definitely have to check one out. So I know that you were in finance before you started this nonprofit. How does that background help you create the model and keep it sustainable. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, I learned so much from Wall Street. And as you know, I sort of left after having, you know, sort of like quarter life crisis of conscience and decided that I wanted to do something with more purpose in the world. But, you know, the stuff I learned in finance about how to structure debt, how to, you know, focus on margins, how to drive sort of fundraising processes has all been really helpful to every table. And so, for example, you know, we have raised money um, from so many different types of sources that include venture capital investors and equity investors, but also impact investors 
and also foundations who have given us in many cases sort of low interest loans to not only build stores in underserved neighborhoods, but also to run what we call a social equity franchise program where we loan money to entrepreneurs coming from disadvantaged backgrounds who have a ton of talent, but not a lot of capital um, to start their own every table location. And a lot of the financing for that really drew on both my experience on Wall Street um, and how to sort of structure debt deals, but also my experience running a nonprofit and how to sort of fundraise with foundations. And, you know, foundations were really excited about this ability to, you know, lend money to a company that would both advance sort of healthy food equity, but also really empower, you know, entrepreneurs who typically might not have gotten a shot to own their own business to really create wealth and opportunity for themselves and their families. Wow, that sounds amazing. So tell me a bit about the menu. Is the menu the same at every location or is it does it differ from location to location? No, I mean, that's that's our sort of like um, secret sauce on some level is that, you know, our job is to make food that really resonates, you know, from Brentwood to Inglewood. And, you know, that's really about, you know, creating, you know, delicious, fresh, healthy meals that are also sort of popular by design. So for example, you know, a turkey taco bowl, and, and by the way, hot bowls are our sort of by far bestseller, but things like turkey taco bowl or, you know, Jamaican jerk chicken with coconut beans and rice and plantains are sort of these, you know, savory, you know, filling hot dishes that really nowhere else can you buy something like that for, you know, $7, let alone $5 or $6 in, uh, you know, in Compton and Watts. Right. So is there a nutrition education component to the, the concept? I mean, do people know what they're, you know, eating and that it's healthier? And Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, the nonprofit I, I ran before this and still sit on the board, it was really built around both nutrition education and social support. So we both believe that is really important, but at the same time, we wanted to make sure that our business sort of stood on its own two feet and that we really took on the responsibility as restaurateurs to basically, um, you know, create a concept and, and a menu and a price point and an experience that was so attractive to such a wide group of people that we didn't need the nutrition education. And I think that's the key thing. Sometimes people think when they hear that every table is bringing, you know, food into underserved neighborhoods that we're, that we're coming in with sort of like kale salads with lemon vinaigrette and a lot of education. But in fact, we're bringing dishes that are, you know, highly resonant in the communities that we're working in. So I'll give you an example. One of the things we like to do is do collaborations with sort of mission aligned companies. And so one of those, you know, alignments is around black owned businesses. And so we did this collaboration with an organization called Trap Kitchen, which were these two young chefs from Compton who had started basically a, a soul food delivery business on Instagram you know, that grew, quickly grew to 300,000 followers and then quickly got shut down because it turned out they were running this big business out of their grandmother's kitchen, which was, you know, at the time illegal. And so we basically partnered with them and said, hey, listen, we love your food. You've got this chicken curry dish. It's, it's basically healthy already. There's not much you have to do. Can you meet with our chefs and just refine it, you know, a little bit to match sort of every table specifications? And we did. And since then, that 
you know, that dish has been, you know, a huge bestseller. And, you know, what, what, what really makes me happy about that is not only how good it was for our business, but it was really good for Trap Kitchen as well. And then they also got some equity as part of the deal. So now, you know, if every table is successful enough to IPO or, you know, sell for a lot of money, which we really hope, you know, we really hope to grow the value of this company over time, you know, it won't just be, you know, me participating, but it'll be the, the, the guys from Cap, Trap Kitchen so, sort of hopefully having a, a huge windfall someday. So as far as the sh- you mentioned that you have chefs, so do you have one chef that you work with to develop all the menu items or are there many? I mean, you mentioned that you partner with some companies, so their chefs obviously create some of the dishes too. But. Yeah, I mean, we, we have an internal, you know, highly sort of skilled and accomplished team sort of making dishes all the time because we rotate our menu really frequently. But we also, like I said, sort of partnered with outside firms. And so in addition to Trap Kitchen, we also um, have partnered with Post and Beam, which is this just amazingly successful Los Angeles fine dining restaurant right in the middle of Crenshaw that basically got was one of the first sort of high-end Black-owned restaurants in the city that then got the Jonathan Gold Award, which basically identifies the top restaurant in Los Angeles. And so, you know, that partnership has been really great. And we also have a great dish that's a partnership with Homeboy Industries, which is the largest, you know, gang um, intervention and and reentry program in the country. And so we partnered with their culinary team and came up with the Home Girl, which is the name of their cafe, the Home Girl Cafe, the Home Girl Salmon Adobo, which has also been, you know, a huge seller for us. And, you know, that's a, that's a good example of like, you know, you know, people, you know, had some questions of whether, you know, salmon would do really well in all of our neighborhoods. And, you know, Home Girl Salmon Adobo, I can definitely say sells incredibly well in Brentwood, as well as Inglewood and Compton and South Los Angeles. Do you focus on trying to source local ingredients too is that something that's part of your business for sure um and and that's really important as both with the freshness of the food um but also the price point for us where you know because every table is doing our own distribution from commissary to stores we don't really need a distributor to do that distribution so we can go directly to farms and in fact over 50 percent of our ingredients in los angeles right now are sourced directly from local farms and you know increasingly we're not only sourcing directly from farms, but also making sure that they're local, regenerative, and in many cases, you know, owned or managed by um, some of the communities that we're trying to, you know, be a part of partnering with to lift up like black owned businesses and minority owned farms as well. Are you trying to do that in New York as well? I mean, it's a I mean, it's more difficult because of the seasonality and, you know. That's that's for sure true. But the short answer is yes. Like basically how it works is when we start in a new area, in the beginning, we'll source from distributor partners because the business is is small and we're figuring it out. And then as we build scale, we'll we'll increasingly, you know, build those connections with, with local farms. So you tripled your footprint since you began every table. What year did you actually begin? The first store opened in 2016. Oh, so it's only like five, six years that you've been running it. That's and it feels like a lifetime, old. though. Yeah. <laughs> and so you hope to grow by the end of this year again and open in Chicago eventually? Open in Chicago. I mean, open everywhere. Like you will see us 
in the next two years, you'll likely see us operating in Northern California, which we've already launched our e-commerce business, uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia, likely Boston, Baltimore, as well as Chicago, you know, Indianapolis, all of the sort of great cities that you can reach from Chicago. So things like Detroit, and Indianapolis, and Milwaukee, and Cleveland, and Cincinnati, you know, all of those locations will soon be, you know, have, have every table available. I would imagine you have to expand your team a bit too, because you can't be in all those places. Yes, ma'am. It's been, uh, you know, the team, you know, we've, we've fortunately been, been lucky enough to impress investors enough to bring in a sizable amount of capital. And so, you know, we've been able to sort of grow our team and, and invest in growth um, for the long term. So in each city that you open in, you'll need another commissary, like central commissary there? Um, it depends. Most of them we will, but there will be some, like, for example, we're servicing San Diego right now from our Los Angeles kitchen. That's about a two hour drive. So there's a lot of stuff like that. So we'll probably, for example, fulfill New Jersey and Philadelphia from the same kitchen. Right. And will the operating model remain the same? It'll be grab and go and pricing by zip code and that's you're right. Not, we, we're not changing we're, it up. <laughs> no, we, we think it's a good sort of scalable model that really does like, you know, inclusivity is really this important theme for us. And so you see that both in the pricing of our food, but also this uh, pay it forward concept where every store has this pay it forward wall where, you know, let's say that you're down on your luck and you don't have enough money for a meal. Well, we've sort of created a structural way for you to eat. And the way we do that is that our, our, a lot of our customers will buy what's called pay it forward meals, which means that they'll pay six or $7 extra and we'll give them a post-it note that they'll write a note on something inspirational or kind and, and then they'll put it on this wall. And then if, you know, somebody experiencing homelessness or, you know, without a job or whoever, you know, comes in, they can basically grab that post-it note off the wall and use it as cash. And basically what this creates is this sort of like thriving sort of second economy in our stores, which really allows people to express their generosity, but also creates, you know, an avenue to a, a great delicious meal full of respect and, um, you know, great service for $0 when people mm. need it. And as far as um, expansion goes, will you be like, partnering with local producers and local companies that produce food or local restaurants um, as you go to the different cities? Um, we will do sort of collaboration bowls, like where we work with local chefs. So we're talking to a few groups in New York, and we're really excited about some of those partnerships. But we'll usually do the food production ourselves. So it's not like, you know, th there are sort of like, you know, drink snacks and desserts that we'll get from third parties, snacks, uh, snacks, things like banana, um, you know, fiesta chips, stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's, you know, largely every table's own food. So the curry bowl will be sold in New York too, or Chicago. For sure. Oh, for cool. sure. For sure. So what's next for every table? You mentioned some of your plans for expansion and is there any other, you know, like future plan that we didn't talk about yet? Well, the thing that we're really excited about is both rolling out this 
this social equity franchise program. And you'll see a lot of our stores over the coming two years will be owned by entrepreneurs who are, like I said, long on talent, but otherwise wouldn't have had the capital to start their own business. And we're really excited about that because, you know, as you know, franchising is a great sort of capital efficient way to sort of scale a restaurant business. But at the same time, you know, we think that this both empowers these entrepreneurs, but also the ownership in the business will you know, give them sort of extra incentive to just create great hospitality for our guests. So we're just we're just thrilled at this structure. And we can't say enough to thank some of the major foundations like the Kellogg Foundation and Annenberg Foundation and California Wellness Foundation and Dignity Health and Kroger Foundation, who have all generously put in money to really support, you know, the ability for these entrepreneurs to own their own businesses. And as you know, you know, it's really ownership that drives sort of wealth creation. In, in a capitalist society. Oh, definitely. Uh, so as far as marketing your message, I mean, I haven't been in one of the stores because it just came to New York, but I will definitely check it out. But um, is there marketing in each store that explains the whole concept and, you know, what it's about and Yeah. And and we're, we're, we're actually in the middle of sort of a revamp of sort of like interior store messaging. So you'll see better and better messaging, but the other sort of thing to note is we actually kind of keep it light in terms of the messaging in store. And the reason for that is like, you know, while the social mission is the most important thing to our company, we also know that that alone is not going to carry this concept because it's food and it's got to be incredibly delicious, incredibly health, you know, valuable, affordable, et cetera, and, you know, quality. And, and so we really want the stores to sort of stand on their own. And so we'll have, you know, things that sort of speak to the mission, but a lot of the stuff is focused on how good the food is and how much care we put into the quality of the product. And we sort of hope that people love the product first and love the experience and then learn over time about what's really driving this company and so become sort of lifelong customers. Thanks so much, Sam. I'm really looking forward to trying every table very soon. Please join us for more episodes of Menu Feed as we explore menu, food, and drink topics with chefs and operators. You can listen to this podcast and past episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more than 20 years, Big Ass Fans has been the industry leader in comfort. Its state-of-the-art fans, evaporative coolers, and heaters have transformed the most inhospitable of spaces into the most inviting of environments. Learn more at BigAssFans.com.